Welcome back to another episode of the Couples Guide Podcast. We are doing things a little differently today because Ryan is out. So I have picked somebody else in his stead for at least this episode. She is one of my very dear friends and a phenomenal therapist. I'm very excited for you all to meet her while well, you meet her. Her name is Sarah Poby. She is a licensed marriage family therapist, a rock star of a human being, and I will let you take the lead from here. Take it away. What do we need to know about you? <laughs> Thank you. I'm so excited to be on here. I've listened to plenty of your podcasts with Brian, and they're just great. Um, what do people need to know about me? I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I am a group practice owner of Empower Marriage and Family Therapy. We have all kinds of specialties, but my specialty in particular is adult children of emotionally immature parents. Yes. And how to work with those challenges uh, as they show up in personal lives, work relationships, and um, romantic relationships, which I'm sure we'll get into today. Yes. And for those of us, because I did not know, I did not know a book could know me so well until I read this yes. book. And then I read two pages. I'm like, fuck you, book. <laughs> Out. like this in the white knight syndrome I'm like okay that's just rude I don't need to be seen to that level yeah so for those listening who don't know what this is could you explain it in layman's yeah. terms and then we'll really dive into it yeah it, it's one of those books where you you can either just binge it mm-hmm. all at once yeah. or you're reading it like two pages at a time <laughs> because you're feeling so seen uh, yeah um <laughs> But yeah, emotionally immature parents, um, you know, whenever we talk about parents, we're not talking about them to shame them or criticize them or make them a bad person. We're not betraying the family when we talk about parents. We, we tend to explore our, our parental relationships um, in order to understand ourselves better and mm-hmm. just get insight about how we move through the world. And so this is not a, a screw everyone's parents or your parents are terrible humans. <laughs> Um, it's, they're just they're just patterns. So emotionally yeah. immature parents tend to fall into one of four categories: mm-hmm. um, passive, rejecting, driven, and emotional. Mm. Um, those are the different types of immaturity, and they manifest in different ways. Um, the core of an emotionally immature parent is that they really they can't tolerate intimacy, mm. and as a result, the child has a lot of unmet needs mm-hmm. they don't they don't feel seen they're not celebrated for their authentic self in fact the parent often misses the child and their true nature because they're so self-involved mm-hmm. and um, dismissive of the child um, and who they are who they are um, and so that manifests in all kinds of ways in adulthood mm-hmm. and that's what we'll be focusing on um, adult children refers to adults that yeah. had children like yeah. childhood, yeah. Um, where their parents one one or both parents were you know emotionally abandoning or mm-hmm. neglectful. Mm-hmm. And when we think of at least when I thought of this, it's such a dichotomy because we are adults and we want so deeply to be seen by our parents as adults. And I read a book, I think it was a couple years ago, separate from this one, but it talked about how we have horizontal and vertical relationships based on deference and respect, et cetera. And so when you're young, it's very much so vertical and the parent is the parent and the child is the child. And ideally in a quote unquote healthy family system, eventually, and we can't, you guys can't see me, but the, like if you have your hands at two different levels, eventually they become more level and you have a more horizontal, mutually respectful relationship. Regardless, you will still always be your parent's child. Whether they treat you as a child or talk down, like that's a whole other aside that you and I see a lot, I think, <laughs> in our in our field. Yeah. But that experience is so crucial to have that transformation where you do feel seen as an adult by your parents. Yes. But sometimes it's the inverse and the deference is given to the child or they're tasked with being quote unquote adultified, parentified. Yes. There's not emotional bandwidth or emotional maturity in the parent. And so the child feels like it's either already a horizontal relationship from childhood or that they're the ones who have to be the emotional leader. And I think this book really speaks, and this concept especially, really speaks into the lack of that respect and the lack of those 
really solidified roles that a child can go to their parent and define themselves by bumping up against the parent and the parent holds and tolerates and can be emotional and model and I know I didn't have that all the time growing up and uh, that is why I'm a therapist so (laughs) let's go from there what else do we need to know (laughs) I really love that horizontal vertical kind of explanation because it is there's there's either like an infantilization of the child to where they're they're not allowed to grow and develop and and their their maturity isn't celebrated; it's threatened, threatening mm-hmm, to the mm-hmm, parent, mm-hmm. and so the parent will act in ways to keep the child as the child, younger, right? Um, because that's what they need. Yeah, that's what the parent needs on the child. Mm-hmm. Or the child has to become parentified and, and become the parent essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and children are not many adults. You know, they are very different beings. They're brand mm-hmm. new to the world. Mm-hmm. They need their parents to help them make sense of of life. Um, and how things work, and when those roles are reversed, it can be very confusing and dysregulating, and just so much, they, the children can feel so much responsibility mm-hmm. for their parents' emotional well-being, physical well-being, paying the bills, I mm-hmm. mean, you've heard, yep. you've heard the term man of the house, Yes. right, and it's like a five-year-old boy, it's mm-hmm. like, no, no, that child's mm-hmm. not going to be the man of the house, but, mm-hmm. you know, the, the in those kind of vertically inverse yeah. structured relationships, the child has to take on adult responsibilities. Yes. So, And I think with the emotional immaturity as well, to speak to the point you brought up in the beginning, it's not about shaming the parent or judging them by any means. It's giving them a lot of empathy, grace, and understanding, of course, still calling them to task and holding them accountable. And in... <laughs> In a home, likely, where parents were never modeled that, why would we expect them to know how to do that, right? It is a learned skill. It is a cultivated skill. So if you're listening to this and you resonate with your parent having done this, the approach that you can take to lessen probably a lot of the burden you feel like you're carrying and resentment towards your parent is put the shoe on the other foot and understand how hard it must have been for them to raise you with all these expectations and potentially knowing that they're not doing the right thing, but quote unquote, trying the best that they could and still needing to say, and I I know that that was messed up. I know you still feel like I wronged you and I'm sorry. That's also not modeled. I think that's the other key pieces we expect there. If they're lacking the emotional maturity, how could we also then expect them to have the conversational ability to take accountability and say, and for that, I am sorry. Yeah, and that is called a healing fantasy, yes. right? It's like that, yes. that expectation and that longing and the yearning that your parent is finally going to show up the way mm-hmm. that you need them to mm-hmm. with accountability and the, you know, the, the capacity to make amends and to take ownership for how their behavior affected mm-hmm. their children. Mm-hmm. I think parents in general, you know, mature or immature, really struggle with guilt and the shame of, yeah. of having to recognize how their behavior as parents have affected their children. Yes. Um, and it takes a lot of maturity and um, ego strength mm-hmm. to be able to, to accept and apologize. And so I think what happens is we have these healing fantasies that parents are going to show up differently or magically be able to take ownership, and they're, they're just not. And it's, mm-hmm. I think, a big part of healing from, you know, a ch- like emotionally immature parents is learning to see reality for what it is, yes. learning to accept your parents' emotional limitations and know that that's just not something that they're capable of and grieving that loss mm-hmm. and being able to move forward and, mm-hmm. and giving yourself that, that reparative experience either through self-validation and recognizing that this was hard and, and going through that grieving process or seeking relationships that seeking relationships with people that are able to respond to your needs and see you Mm -hmm. and stay with you and take ownership and can apologize. So I think, I think we can really do a lot of healing in our adult relationships by choosing people that have emotional maturity. And it can feel, I know from experience, almost it's either like unreal I would say like there's a lack of, of um, belief that it could possibly be actual that this person that you're dating has emotional maturity 
or it feels suffocating or it feels like oh well I have nothing to fix in this relationship so I'm not attracted to you I like we talk a lot in mental health about bettering yourself and picking a healthy partner and a secure partner fill in the blank with any other traits you want but my thing is like who do you have to become to be ready for that and are you really ready to make those changes to heal from parents who parented you in a way that did include emotional immaturity or lack of availability because it's on the other end very inundating to be with a partner who is available and secure and yeah. is okay with intimacy in all forms of the word and you're just like <gasps> yeah what okay yeah. this is re- oh i'm gonna play it so cool like pff, this doesn't freak me out at all but deep inside it's like <gasps> yeah you know, I think it's actually registered as a threat to our nervous system. A hundred percent. When we are with somebody that's emotionally safe, when your experience is, you know, familiar is safe. Familiar yeah. is comfortable. Doesn't mean and it's... so if you grew yeah. up with, you know, a very tyrannical parent mm-hmm. or a very emotionally dismissive parent that mm-hmm. didn't see your needs or recognize that you were a human being with needs, mm-hmm. then choosing anything other than that in a romantic partner is going to feel extremely unfamiliar mm-hmm. and foreign territory mm-hmm. for it's people. confronting yeah it is it's so confronting and i share this i share this story um i'm going to therapy when i first met my husband lee mm-hmm. and i had been in a narcissistic relationship that was on and off mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the anxious avoidant dance mm-hmm. you, know, mm-hmm. you know my my quest in that relationship was to make him love me and, I've definitely been there as well. Yes, yep. Yeah. And, you know, I just change as much as I can to shape shift into the person that mm-hmm. he needed me to be. Of course. And it was up and down. And yep. you can't see me, but I'm drawing like a, a zigzag. Yeah. Almost like down. a, like a, what, a, what, the EKG? Yes. The bing, bing. Yeah. yeah the like heart, a, yeah. A healthy heart yes. monitor. It yes. was not a healthy relationship. <laughs> However, it looks like a healthy heartbeat. <laughs> Yeah, so up and down, and I got addicted to that cycle. Mm-hmm. It became like home. Yeah. And so when I started dating Lee, who is like the picture of emotional maturity, and he yeah. can handle intimacy, yeah. he's very curious about my inner experience, yep. and uh, you know, didn't wait three days to text me after mm-hmm. our first date. It was no games, yep. consistency. Honesty, like all of yeah. the good stuff, I was like, "Oh hell no, no!" Like, get me out of this here. This is yucky. I, yeah. I told my therapist, and she's like, "Sarah, it's like you're you're detoxing from cocaine. You're yeah. so used to the highs yeah. and the lows, yeah. and this baseline normal, healthy relationship just felt so unsettling for me because my nervous system was so used yeah. to chaos, yeah, and." anxiety constantly mm-hmm. but I got addicted to that yeah um, and so yeah that the healthy emotionally mature relationship felt mm-hmm. super weird and mm-hmm. boring oh yeah yeah I'm like where's the action yeah <laughs> I remember telling my therapist and I because I was in a very very intense very toxic it was bad very bad um, I'm just like not going back through my mind currently, but trying, trying not to, I shall say, but there's like flashback. Fine. We're good. I'm grounding myself. Five things I can see. Um, and I remember telling her and I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're asking me essentially to get sober from heroin and then date weed and be like, oh, this is just as thrilling. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it's not, it's not at all because it just, and it fulfills and doing psycho analytic work, I, I know all of the reasons why it does fill this, but there's this pattern, there's this repetition, compulsion, there's this inner object that you're relating to when you have a partner who is very toxic and supports that narrative, especially if you have low self-worth, low self-esteem, an unestablished core sense of self or a self-narrative that why would I not want to be with somebody who confirms that? And then being with somebody healthy and mature, like you're describing, does not confirm the narrative that I don't have worth unless I fill in the blank, you know, do this for another person or feel this way about another person. And that's, it can feel suffocating because it's a whole other identity crisis. And then people think, oh, well, why don't you just leave the person who's toxic? And I'm like, I don't, (laughs) that's not that easy. Why don't you try and let me know how it goes? Because being with somebody healthy requires you again to confront yourself 
in a whole other way that you don't have to by being with somebody where the main focus is on breeding this toxicity versus breeding something healthy. And we talked about that this morning, driving to the gym together, that being in a healthy, mature marriage and relationship and building a partnership for life is effortful and it's intentional and it's it's a daily practice. It shouldn't feel like grueling, of course, but there's seasons and chapters to it where you, yeah, you got to be ready to be with somebody who's unlike typically mm-hmm. the parents that fall into these categories. Yeah. And I think that true intimacy is terrifying because it is so confronting. Yeah. And you, it's, what if I can't handle it or what if I like it and then you leave yeah. or what if you don't leave? Yeah. What? Yeah. We're going to have this for the rest of our lives and then I have to confront the fact that I never believed it was possible. Like, yeah, yeah. Th- yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, the stuff and the tactics I use to like create action okay. in that healthy relationship when I first started with Lee. That's I mean, right. I love this story. I, would, I picked fights. Okay? Yeah. Like yeah. I would, and it was conscious. Yeah. To a certain degree. I sure. Mean, I would be like, you know what? Like, today's the day. I'm picking a fight. Here we go. <laughs> I imagine the starfish in Nemo. Today's the day. Today's the day. I'm coming for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, there was a, a fight about crystals. My husband's, like, very scientific materialist. Yes. I'm very yeah. spiritual. And, and that's fine. You know, we, we can respect each other's yeah. differences. But, you know, he said something about not believing in crystals. And then... That just gave me the ammo I needed to like go Goodbye. in, yeah. you know, and just there, there were just so many like protest behaviors that I would do to create mm-hmm. chaos again, um, and and it, it it's all like there's a, a positive intention, right? There's a positive intention to that, even though it, it's very childish and um, infantile, and it's not it's not good. Objectively, it's not a good thing. Correct. Uh, it's not a good look, um, but you know I, I can recognize now that that was the part of myself that was trying to turn, like, mm-hmm. return to baseline homeostasis mm-hmm. and get back into that pattern that mm-hmm. felt so comfortable and safe. And so, what I see in, in a lot of my clients is that that protest behavior, those like very childlike tactics that we use to get our partner's attention, mm-hmm. to create some sort of chaos, drama. Because it feels good on some level, and I want to talk about the role self, um, which is the part, the part of ourselves that we develop in order to survive our family of origin, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so you might have a role self that's um, the responsible one. You're mm-hmm. responsible for everything. Mm-hmm. Let's say you had an emotionally immature parent that um, was very infantile used substances, alcohol, children to Mm -hmm. soothe themselves, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. They're so emotional. They always are needing their kids to help them, like, to help them feel better. Regulate. Yeah. They're they're the ones that are just need need to feel needed all the time. And if they don't, then they fall apart. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very, very challenging for children to witness parents in distress. And so you come up with this role self that helps you to survive like okay it's okay like mm-hmm. if you're okay then I'm okay so yeah. I'm gonna figure out ways to take care of you and make sure you're happy and I'm gonna do everything that I can to to ensure that you feel better and that you don't drink and that you don't you don't cry you know I'm gonna dance I'm gonna mm-hmm. like make jokes make, make jokes. faces yeah exactly I'm gonna make you breakfast every day in bed mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna take care of all of the housework, so you don't have to con- like you don't have to deal with this big these big feelings because that's so distressing for me as a child, right? Oh yeah. And so that that's a, a definition of like the role self, or mm-hmm. you know, with a driven, uh, emotionally immature parent, they're they're they need their kids to be high performers, mm-hmm. and they need they need their kids to be like star of the sports team. They're like. They're the kids with staff days. Like they yes. have, they start at like seven in the morning yep. and they're in Chinese class until yes. like eight thirty. Yes. And then they have to come home and do their homework. Yeah. And the parent is just so driven because it's like mm-hmm. the the parent. It's not about it's not about the kid and their needs. It's about the the parent looking good. Mm-hmm. They um, derive a sense of self from yes. their child being productive. Yeah. yeah. The child is a. It's a narcissistic self extension. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so the the role self. And that child may, you know, be an Olympic cyclist, yes. for example. 
Yes. Um, or or train so hard, or develop an eating disorder, or be a bit high achiever that mm-hmm. you know goes to Stanford, like mm-hmm. doesn't get into Stanford and ends up committing suicide. Yeah. When I lived in Palo Alto, that was something that I heard of on a pretty regular basis, mm-hmm. which is just devastating. Yes. But we like parts of us evolved to protect us and keep us safe in these you know in these environments when we're kids, mm-hmm. and they're very adaptive and thank god yeah thank god we do this otherwise we would not get out alive no we would not right and so the role self will show up in in romantic relationships later on mm-hmm. and so being the responsible one feeling like mm-hmm. you have to you have to be like perfect in order for your partner to be happy mm-hmm. with you mm-hmm. um or you have to take care of everything in the house and you know you have to like do plan all, all the dates and do everything yes. yeah yeah or you have to be a super high achiever in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And so these role selves materialize in relationships and also at work. Yeah. You know, I think we've talked about how our attachment styles play out in oh, professional sure. settings and how uh, anxiety yes. plays out in yes. avoidance. Yes. Um, when I was working in a treatment center, I had such a hard time leaving, even though I knew Elizabeth, yeah. that was a very toxic environment mm-hmm. for me to be in personally. Um, because I felt like I was letting my family down. I felt like I was betraying mm. the system. And I was getting very resentful because I was I was serving this treatment center at the expense of myself. Yeah. And I think that's an example of how my role self showed up mm-hmm. professionally. Mm-hmm. Like I was doing what I knew how to mm-hmm. um, and what I needed to do to survive in that system. Mm-hmm. And letting go of that and leaving that relationship professional relationship was really, really difficult. Um, the same in romantic relationships. Yeah. Staying way longer than you need to because mm-hmm. you're afraid of disappointing the other person or hurting their feelings. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, there's a lot of... When you have emotionally immature parents, there's a lot of... You learn self-abandonment. Correct. As a practice, right? Like, Correct. yourself doesn't matter because it's all about parents and their, their mm-hmm. wellness. Mm-hmm. And their needs. Mm-hmm. There's no space, and so taking up space in your adult life is a it's revolutionary, and it's terrifying. But both very accurate terms. Yeah. Incredibly accurate. And also very empowering. Yes. Very very empowering. Very necessary to move through, and a benefit to future generations to come, even if people don't. I want to back up a bit and share that people often don't want to perpetuate what they grew up with if they didn't like it and so they will choose not to have children they will choose to have a family that looks different they might adopt out because they don't want their genetics at play nature versus nurture you're still going to parent them the same way even if they came out of you or not and I think for most people who grew up with emotionally immature parents there is a doubt, there's an inner doubt of, am I capable, am I this? Because once you learn and read about a lot of stuff and go to your own therapy, you're like, oh, this was fucked up, like, what? And again, it's not faulting or blaming parents. They, Most of them, unless it was very intentional abuse or neglect, did the best that they could with the knowledge they had at the time and can still be held accountable for it. And when we try and hold them accountable on our own healing while we're creating our own families, I know the response is usually, well, I guess I felt as a parent or a very defensive comment. And the inner toddler comes out and there's usually a storming off. There's space that's taken because they can't confront. Parents have often such a fragile in this way sense of self that they don't want to be confronted with truths they already know about themselves. So when you bring it up to them, they can't tolerate in object relations and psychoanalysis, they can't tolerate being both a good and bad object at the same time. And so they split off and become all bad and try and escape the accountability that needs, quote unquote, needs to be taken to move forward by, well, I'll just be all bad then. I I can't see myself as both. I can't give myself enough grace to be both. And I'm certainly not going to do that on behalf of you if I'm emotionally immature and I don't know how to do that even for me. And so they can't tolerate the good and bad at the same time. They split off to be all bad. And then if we are raised by a parent like that, the power comes from not going in and rescuing the parent and not trying to make it all okay. Well, that's not what I said. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. It's like, uh, well, if that's what you heard from what I said, 
that is not correct, and we're gonna try that again. What I said was, all these things were great, this could have been even better. I wish I would have had this growing up. And then can the parents sit and tolerate and go, okay, that makes sense. I'm hearing all the other good stuff first. I'm not just being shit on or frustrated by your comments about my, well, you don't even know what I had to go through, but I don't, you're right, and I don't need to, or I knew that and I didn't need to because it was super inappropriate that you included me in that from such a young age. Yeah. There's a, there's a really big kind of legacy burden, mm-hmm. like a legacy of trauma yeah. that gets passed on and, you know, some parents are emotionally immature because of their own, their own trauma, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and uh, the duality of both and mm-hmm. can be really, really helpful of like, okay, yes, I, I know that they experienced trauma and this is how they've adapted to survive mm-hmm. and their behavior still really affects Correct. me at the same time. Correct. Right? It's like one of my friends, her therapist said, um, your parents did the best they could and their best was absolute shit. So yeah. both can be true. Yes. Both can be true. Yeah. Um, it's starting with validation, and I think that is something that transcends horizontal and vertical relationships and even the parent-child relationship. It's like human-to-human interaction. I can't not give you something solely based on the fact that you never gave it to me. And so if my parent wasn't validating, it doesn't mean they were intentionally invalidating, but they missed the boat on what validation even looked like or they were trying to keep me safe by being hypercritical or bringing to my awareness all the things that could fail about whatever was you know, being brought up or discussed, it is inadvertently invalidating. And so the way through that and repairing it, if any of you are listening and want to know, you know how to repair this or where else can I heal from this, you can give your parent the validation they never gave you. And validation does not mean everything is copacetic and you're wiping away and there's no need for apology, acknowledgement, or forgiveness. It's, I'm going to validate what's valid. I'm going to validate the emotion. I'm going to validate you truly didn't know what you were doing. Whatever is actually truthful that you can resonate with and relate to, you validate that. You don't need to validate all of it. I think that's the other misconception. Well, they validated this. It needs to be true. No. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. Yeah. So true. That's so true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're almost repairing your your own inner child mm-hmm. by practicing that with your parents. The intention behind it is where you end up leading by example, and so you model for your parents what they could never do for you. Yeah. And it's not out of emotionally rescuing; it's truly out of I'm empowering myself, my inner child, the ch- and the rest of the children that have come out of me yeah. to not have to feel the way that I did, and I'm not blaming you. I'm going to course correct, and this is how I'd like us both to speak to each other from here on out. We are responsible for caring for older generations, and I think that's something very, especially true in most cultures. And then when you add in the emotionally immature parenting, two different cultural views or cultural beliefs, it's so necessary, no matter what, to approach it with kindness and validation. And that's something that goes around social media a lot with white therapists especially or you know what more western central therapists it's like we'll just set boundaries and this and that and i'm like no like you have to know it's case by case specific and family by family specific here's what you could do here's what a boundary might sound like do you think that's ever something you could say to your parents is what i ask my clients and some of them are like i never even thought to word it that way i think they'll handle it or you must be off crack. What are you doing? I'm not ever going to say that to my parents. I said, okay, then what else can we say to recorrect this so you do feel like there's a sense of hope, maybe? Not blind hope, but there's hopefulness about the trajectory of your adult relationship with your parent. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that, the cultural piece. Yeah. You know, my my dad is Egyptian, and boundaries are... I don't even know if that's part of the the what is vernacular yeah, yeah. in Arabic, right? Mm-hmm. It's like different systems and setups and you know it, it's more of like a communal culture rather than individualist. Yeah. And I think we see a lot of this talk about boundaries and cutting people off and you know, in some cases that is absolutely what you have to do. Right? But there's mm-hmm. nuance that we can mm-hmm. bring to the conversation when we're talking about this and 
you know, I think some some of some people really need to have conversations with their parents in order to move forward. But a lot of the people that I work with, as we're working through, you know, processing and yeah, mm-hmm. processing being a child of emotionally immature parents. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the work is internal yeah. and there's this drive to then share it with parents and be like look at all the ways that you've hurt me and this is like how uh-huh. it's almost punishing in uh-huh. a way yeah but it's the undertone of that is seeking validation like i want you to see and witness me yeah right? because that's i finally hurt. figured out who i am and i never felt yeah. seen by you and now i feel seen because i figured it out and i it's it's yeah. like a they bring home I liken it with my clients. It's like when you brought home a painting as a yes. kid, or like the let's say, especially in a family of divorce, where like the step parent is in the and they're like off in the corner of the picture, like drawn like upside down in the dirt, and they're like, yeah. but he's in there, and the other new parents like, oh shit, like yeah. this is not integrated. It's like when you bring home a drawing and you're like, look what I yeah. made, and it's like the most detailed part of the childhood with your kid that you would never want, yeah. and you're like, can you hang it on the fridge? And the parents like. No, no, I'm not gonna do in that. In fact, I'm actually gonna rip it up, yeah. and stamp on it yes. like a toddler. Right. It's so triggering. Yeah. To me I don't. Yeah. I energy. can't. I couldn't see you then. I can't see you now. And you're yeah. so spot on. I'm so glad you brought that up. We do bring it up to them be, as an attempt to stick it to them, but also to be seen. Yes. And that's the that's the core wounding yes. of this particular presentation is yeah. that there's this deep deep longing to be seen mm-hmm. and to be understood and mm-hmm. to be known mm-hmm. and that's often not something that emotionally immature parents are capable of. And so while there is this desire to move the work outside, mm-hmm. it, a lot of the work is actually done internally of what, what energetic boundaries do you need to set so that you can hold on to yourself mm-hmm. in family situations so that you're not jumping back into that role self right. of people pleasing and rescuing and high performing mm-hmm. and you know acting in ways that are at the expense of your well-being. Right. Um, what is it? Do you need to leave early? Do mm-hmm. you need to? Do you need to take a separate take car? Take a separate car. Um, do you need to have a mantra that you repeat? Mm-hmm. Um, do you need to spend less time with family members? Right. Are there certain family members that you can spend more time with because yes. they're like, you yes. know, more attuned to you and you mm-hmm. feel more kind of connected to them? Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many ways that we can do this work without involving parents. Right. You don't have to actually heal the relationship with your parents to mm-hmm. heal from, you know, this these childhood injuries. In fact, I think a lot of the important work is becoming our own parents and mm-hmm. learning to reparent ourselves yeah. and be our own mothers, be our own fathers, mm-hmm. and tend to these wounded parts that so desperately are longing to be witnessed mm-hmm. and cherished and honored. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's as simple as like I'm going to feed myself three times a day. Yeah. And I'm going to say no if I'm tired. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put, I'm going to give myself a bedtime. Mm-hmm. Right? Sometimes just literally, like parenting basics yes. can be so healing for those injured yes. parts of our, ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it reduces the chaos as well. So, to your point yeah. that we were talking about earlier. It's not as desirable then to be in a relationship that sustains the chaos when you are internally structured. When you kind of go in and rearrange yourself and you reparented yourself, you want to be with somebody who can support that healed, parented version of you, not the chaotic lack of boundaries, inner toddler, if you will. And it's a benefit if you can heal the relationship with your parents. I've worked with many a client where they come in absolutely unwilling and end with they have the better relationship with their parents than they ever thought possible because it's the concept they have of their parents often that prevents them from ever wanting to get close and how much it's easier to demonize, to villainize, to make the parent the problem and they should have known that's really not an argument or a point I think we can rest on anymore with all the research that's coming out about epigenetic conditioning and transgenerational wounding and how much it isn't truly their intentional fault. Again, we're not talking about intentional cases of abuse and neglect. That could be a whole other episode I can look at yeah. analytically, but that, that it's a benefit if you can actually go back and heal the relationship at the core, because then your brain now has a new internal object to relate to. And whenever it thinks of parent, it doesn't think I must defy. 
it thinks I'm in congruency with and I want to keep that positive homeostasis. So if you are listening to this and you do have a parent who is still alive and capable, let's say they're, you know, they have to be sober when you talk to them or not engaging in whatever the behavior and willing, uh, at least 50% willing, they need to show up for the conversation even if they don't know what it's going to be about doing the reparative work with your parent makes it so that you don't do this unintentionally on the dating partners that you have because so many of us supplant the true healing that needs to be done with the parent yeah. on a dating partner and we project onto them and we get in these projective identifications with a dream lover or an un, unreal self that they're like I don't think you're seeing me as me I think you're are you are you really wanting to say this to your dad yeah 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 it's a while it's a trip it's a trip and with with talking to your to your parents you know I think it's important to to realize that their first response like Mm -hmm. don't trust that don't base your entire no like how you think this is going to go based on their first reaction because they're probably going to be triggered yes and then go away about it because how long have you sat with it and i say this to all of my clients how long have you sat with something before you come out about it or bring it up exactly longer no matter what amount of time it's longer than the person you just told they need time to ingest it and process it and be like Okay, I know I didn't have the best reaction the first time. Yep. I've had some time to think about it, and now we can talk. Yeah. Let them have. You can't. You can't make both demands. You can't say I need you to sit and listen to me, and I need you to respond Perfect. the way that I want you to respond. Because what is that? It's literally repetition yeah. compulsion of the childhood experience. So yeah. you can only pick one Highlander. You can only have one demand of your parent, which is I'm going to say this to you. I would love it if you could hear me out. I'm doing my best to word it in a kind way. I do not need your response right away. Yeah. I'm just planting the seed today. I know this may be hard for you to hear. It's going to be incredibly hard for you to hear, and you are allowed to have, right? Here's the validation and modeling. You're allowed to have whatever reaction that you want, and we'll we'll have a conversation when both of us can talk at this exact tone. That's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. And let them spiral. Let them have the tantrum. Let let their inner child have the reaction to feeling seen because that truly is what happens when your parent is confronted with this knowledge that they know they know it their brain and psyche does a very good job of tucking it away because it's a survival skill yeah yeah and them being seen is what they've what they've withheld from you and so it's it's simultaneously healing and also extremely dysregulated to be seen mm-hmm. when you have all of these defenses put in place to mm-hmm. prevent you from being seen. Correct. Which then really disallows you from having intimate connections. Mm-hmm. And you know something something else that most people that have emotionally immature parents deal with is emotional loneliness. Yeah. And that that emotional loneliness coming from that place of not being seen for so long. Right as a child right when you most need that reflection and attunement Mm -hmm. and like you know mother child babbling back and forth Mm -hmm. to each other right Mm -hmm. and so that emotional loneliness can be really really painful Mm -hmm. and it's like the capital l loneliness yes and um just having conversations with your parents Mm -hmm. um that are not used to Mm -hmm. or attuned to having these intimate conversations Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm super challenging to tolerate very challenging to tolerate and, and I one of my favorite definitions of tolerate is to interact with and still have respect for and I think it gets conflated in society with the term put up with mm-hmm. I'm like ugh, I'm just tolerate tolerating is actually a gift right being tolerant being understanding not changing the view that you have of the person the and this is something my parents instilled in me I may not like what you do but I will always love you and it's not to say I had you know the per nobody has the perfect childhood or adolescence I was a tyrant as a teenager I had all oh I wrote the book on it I had a lot of stuff to work through from my own stuff and from previous generations it all came out we're all good now everything's fine we're all healed um it's an, it's an ongoing journey but I would say I will say rather that having that experience growing up definitely shaped the way that I try and approach it with my parents now and it was 
almost a decade long before we could get to the point of non-defensive responses, before we could get to the point of not having that experience be immediately, no, I'm not doing this with you, I don't want to hear about it. Well, well, you don't even know, and let me just list these five bullet points of what I did. Sure, valid parents, and that's not why I'm bringing this up to you. I'm bringing this up to you as a way to heal and to repair. And this is the other, um, not caveat, but like supporting fact that I would add in for people listening when you have these kinds of conversations with your parents. They are allowed, we talked about, to have whatever reaction they want. That's mm-hmm. You can't go to them and say, well, I'm going to say this to you, and you can't yell back, blah, blah. You have to be emotionally mature yourself yeah. before you decide to have a conversation about the lack thereof with your parents. Yeah, it's like, all yes. my feelings are valid, but yes. yours are not. Yeah, no, it can't be what's no. yours is mine and what's mine is mine also. That's not the approach that you take. So it's not undoable in the sense of if you start the conversation you're like right just press pause and start again you're all learning to do something new for the first time you're not going to be perfect at it from the start it took us how many years of doing this personally and professionally and we're still working at it like it takes it takes a long time to really integrate these lessons because you have to see yourself first before anybody can see you or before you let somebody see you yeah and that ability to hold on to yourself in those conversations it's almost superhuman it is because it's almost it's almost like a tidal pull that Mm -hmm. you're feeling to go back to that role self Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. if you're so used to shape-shifting into this pleaser right right when your parents get upset yeah and you're like oh don't worry don't worry like i you know, it's not a big deal. Like, forget mm-hmm. I even said anything. Like, are you okay? What's going on? Like, tell me how you're feeling, right? That's when we've turned on ourselves. Right. We have, we are, we are, there's a betrayal that's mm-hmm. happening where mm-hmm. we are like forgetting our own needs, forgetting our own emotional experience, and kind of rescuing them from theirs because we've learned to prioritize their emotional experience over our own. Right. And when we turn on ourselves, that's those. We are not having healing conversations from that place, from, from the betrayal. Right, right, right. We right. are having healing conversations when we can hold on to ourselves, mm-hmm. right? When we can go in, when we're seeing reality as mm-hmm. it exists, mm-hmm. right? We're not responding to the fight, flight, freeze response, right? And that's, I mean, that's very difficult. It sounds easy to be like, oh, I'm gonna hold on yeah. to myself <laughs> and I'm like go in yeah. and set boundaries yeah. and everything's gonna be okay. Even if like everybody mm-hmm. acts like toddlers, I'm just gonna stay grounded and like hold on to mm-hmm. my crystals mm-hmm. and like Palo Santo mm-hmm. afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like no, it does not work like that. No. Like you, there's a a lot of work that goes into you staying really regulated. trusting, yeah. trusting that you're not doing anything wrong by taking up space. Right. right. Trusting that you're right. not doing anything wrong by having needs mm-hmm. and advocating for your needs and speaking your truth. Mm-hmm. Right. So that true. in itself can feel so wrong and bad mm-hmm. um, if you're if you're so used to shape-shifting and pleasing and rescuing mm-hmm. other people from their experience mm-hmm. I agree yeah. I feel like we could do like a seven-hour episode I, on this yeah. there's so many more things that yeah. are like floating through our mind I want to ask you before we we have a little bit of time left what are some maybe like factors to look out for if people are listening we talked about like how to heal and the benefits but if they're in really like the dating relationship and they find themselves with an emotionally immature partner what might that look like and then what does an emotionally mature partner look like yeah so it's it's tough because like you said the best thing to do is Mm -hmm. become emotionally mature yourself yes and to kind of embody these qualities that you want in your partner right and that's life's work, right? Mm-hmm. We're constantly mm-hmm. evolving and working on that, um, especially your listeners. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they are self-awareness focused and yeah. trying to grow. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I would say. Is like the first thing is to work on yourself yeah. and become the partner that you want. Yes. Um, emotionally immature partners um, are going to embody certain traits that are going to be very familiar to you, mm-hmm. and that's there's something very seductive about that mm-hmm. because. Remember that's home to you. That's safe to you. Yeah. Right. If if they're if they're neglectful, if they are always prioritizing their needs. Right. If there's if 
if it feels one-sided, yeah. you feel like you're always kind of caretaking them yeah. or um, responding to them. If if there's also just like a, a power differential, um, if they are kind of Highly, trying to change yeah. the way that you look yeah. or behave yeah. or say, you know, possessive, right? Mm-hmm, like, you mm-hmm. can't go and do this. Like, the no, reason why people, you go out yeah. with your friends when yeah. I've taken the night off to hang out yes, with you? without even asking, yes. usually, yeah, right? Like yeah, mind reading, a lot of yeah. resentment of like... Oh, for sure. Yeah, so there's there's ways that... And defensiveness. Yes. I think that's another a number one hallmark of dating somebody who doesn't... Dating somebody who lacks, and it's not a dis to this description, it's, there's a, there's a capacity that everybody has for emotional maturity and imagine it like a cup. It's maybe a quarter of the way full or half full. It's not dismissing the quarter or half that is full, but you have to understand if their cup is only a quarter full of, a quarter full of emotional maturity and yours is totally full, you are going to feel the lack a lot more than they will. Yes. For them, it feels like it's a confrontation because they're looking at you and you have three quarters more than they do. Naturally, they're going to get defensive and not, they're not getting defensive because they're this nefariously schemed person who's like, you know, it's really going to mess with their head. Well, it feels sometimes like they're in your head doing that, but really it's a defensive response and they don't have the emotional maturity to have an adult conversation. I can't have big feelings. You definitely can't have big feelings because if you cry and I'm not comfortable with tears and I love you, it's going to bring up a lot of stuff in me. And romantic relationships are the closest in intensity and intimacy to our childhood relationships. They are yes. so confronting. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. The, the difficulty in taking ownership yeah. and accountability for yeah. their behavior is another, another quality. Um, but yeah, that, that defensiveness can feel so intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that goes back to this holding on to yourself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. In those relationships, in relationships with emotionally immature people, and no one's perfect. We no. all have those. Yeah. I mean, look at me. Like yeah. I was, I was acting out all over the yeah. place when I met Lee. Oh yeah, you I know. have. I still have moments, even we all these years later. Grow and change. No yeah. one's perfect. No. But when you have, when you have your partner being defensive, mm-hmm. it can make you turn on yourself, yeah. and it can make you think you're doing something wrong. Yeah. And so, if you're gonna be in a relationship with mm-hmm. someone that has some of these traits, then it's gonna be really, really important for you to like. Spend time with other people that remind you of your goodness. Yeah. Those girlfriends yeah. you can text yeah. and be like, "Hey, did yeah. is this? Did I do something wrong yeah. here by like Am crying?" I normal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Google is yeah. your best friend. Yeah. Like, yeah. Is it okay that I did this? Can I ask for? Oh you know, man, the amount space? of validation seeking that probably gets typed into Google. Oh, yeah. 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 So just just be really mindful of, of when you do flip flip on yourself and start. Mm-hmm. Um, blaming yourself or, or mm-hmm. shaming yourself mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. not not being everything that they need 100 mm-hmm. of the time. Yeah. And finding ways to come back to yourself, to come home to yourself. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really important when you're in a relationship. If you choose to stay with that person. Correct. That's the other part is you don't owe them anything. You don't have to stay. It's also if you choose not to stay, please leave kindly if possible. It's not blaming them. Well, if you were only more available, then I wouldn't have to leave. Don't no. do that. I will personally come find you and give you a talking to. <laughs> she will. And I will. Like, <laughs> don't doubt me. I will. <laughs> Be nice to your partner, even in times where you make the decision. I don't think we're on the same page where we need to be on the same page. And for that reason, I'm out, right? You kind of like shark tank them. So emotionally immature adults will not be desirous or able typically, unless it's learned to be okay with intimacy. And that means closeness. It doesn't only mean sexual intimacy. It's emotional intimacy, sometimes physical intimacy as well, or they're only okay with physical intimacy, but the thought of kissing, cuddling, et cetera, anything after that, or contacting you between meetings, if you will, no, you're not going to, they're very contained. This feels safe. This does not. And for those of you who can't, nobody actually, this is just an audio only, but it's like this small little circle, the size of a quarter is my safety. And then the rest of what you're asking me is like too much and it's engulfing and I can't handle it. And typically the response to any big emotion is either to shut it down, to try and go right to the solution and move past it and brush forward because 
especially for men, it's not productive to feel. They're not feelings-based creatures. So there is a biological element when it comes to this that they are typically not the more emotionally mature or available ones. You mix the biology with societal conditioning, with social conditioning, with family conditioning. There's so much to it, but it is a learned trait. You can learn to become more emotionally mature and available. And that's, I think, what you're going to share now. What are those other traits of actual emotional maturity? Yeah. Um, so I wanted to talk, yeah. speak to that, yeah. like, that men tend to be, due to a lot yeah. of cultural programming, yes. thinkers, and women yes. tend to be feelers. Correct. Um, one of the traits of emotionally mature people is the ability to think and feel at the same time. Yes. And so they're, yeah. they're having feelings, but they're talking about it. Correct. And they're thinking about it, and yeah. they're trying to make sense of mm-hmm. it, and they're trying to explain it to you, like mm-hmm. why they reacted this way, mm-hmm. and like what it's connected to, mm-hmm. and like how it came out, and you know, it's like that radical ownership. Yes. Like this is my stuff, and I know that it, it came out sideways at you, and here's what happened. And yeah. They're feeling. Mm-hmm. They're connected to their emotional mm-hmm. bodies, mm-hmm. but they're also verbally. They yeah. Think. It's not. I'm going to make you feel how yeah. I feel. It's I'm going to let you. Not like I'm going to tell you, but it's like I'm going to inform you and let you in on how I'm yes. feeling. Yes. yes. And that is that is something that is so rare and yeah. precious. Yeah. Yeah. In a romantic relationship, and also is is devoid in yeah. emotionally immature households. When you're growing up, you're not taught to think. No. You're not taught to think. Either. You're not even taught how to feel in terms of emotional no. regulation. Because there's these yeah. big blow ups, right? And explosions yeah. and ruptures. Yeah. And then people just brush it under the rug and wake up the, the next rug, day like, like nothing happened. Exactly, and it's so abandoning because there's no there's no acknowledgement that this big thing happened and mm-hmm. why did it happen mm-hmm. and what. What was it in me that made me yell at you? Right, or, right, you right. Know, so thinking and feeling at the same time. Um, another trait is working with reality rather than fighting it. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a, a really beautiful quality is just recognizing things for what they are and staying connected to reality rather than fantasy or yeah. you're my dad right now and you're not meeting any of my needs. Right. Um, that's, you know... It's valid, but it's mm-hmm. also a little immature. Yeah, not, don't interact. With, to speak of it analytically, do not engage in the projective identification with your partner when they are seeing you as any of the archetypes yeah. or don't the dream enlist. lover. Yeah, don't, I'm not. I'm not doing. I'm not colluding with you. No. I'm going to stop it. I'm going to break the disillusionment and the fantasy and let you know. I want to hear you, and I'm. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. From what you're sharing, it doesn't. I'm not getting the experience this is about me. Could that be true? Yeah. Right? And then let your partner have the collapse of like, oh, shit. Right? Like, just like we ask our clients, this sounds deeper, right? Could this be connected to your childhood at all? And they're like, oh, wait, this is what I do with my dad. I'm like, okay. And just totally normal. Like, as if somebody had a spider on them and you're trying not to freak them out, but you know it's a really big deal and they're like trying to be cool and you're just like, it's okay. It's okay. Right? But let's talk about that. Yeah. So I think that's a really good point. Is to, that's a, yeah. a great script. Something that was really helpful with Lee was he would say, what's this really about? Yeah. And that would call to my attention that mm-hmm. like this was out of proportion. Mm-hmm. And, like, mm-hmm. It clearly wasn't about the dishwasher no. that I was like freaking out. It's an out. unmet need. Yeah. And it's clearly not to be redundant. It's an unmet need going unmet. Yes. And it's not only going unmet for the long, the length it has in your relationship, it's going unmet for the lifespan of that unmet need yes. in your whole life, separate from meeting your partner. And yeah. you pick them for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, boundaries are a big one. Yes. Right? Like if you have a partner that is um, respectful of your boundaries, mm-hmm. and you know, we, we are in consent culture right, right now. Right. So, like, you know, asking for consent, if you say, I don't want to be touched here, and they, mm-hmm touch you there then that's that's not respectful they're, they're intrusive of your boundaries if you say yeah. I'm going to be out with friends and they're texting you the whole time and mm-hmm. they're getting angry mm-hmm. because you're not answering their phone mm-hmm. calls that's that's pretty emotionally immature that's yeah. you know oh I see how it is and then you reach out and they're like well if you're not going to respond to me then I'm not going to respond yeah. to you you like how my voice just changed into imitating that. That hasn't slipped out in many a year. Oh, for sure. That's the arc. I think that's the archetype of what I imagined when I was in my toxic relationship Mm -hmm. years ago, that it was very much so. And I remember being at a good friend's house, family friend. We're having dinner. It's like 7 p.m. I'm watching a show. I'm going to come home and put the kid to bed. And (laughs) 
<laughs> he's like, well, and sends me a selfie of him drinking like an entire bottle of like the big, like smart and final Woodbridge wine. He's like, well, I'll just be here. And I'm like, what are, what's your angle? Like I'm, mm-mm. and the, the longer I was in it and ready to get out, the more I was like, the fuck are you yeah. doing? Like really? And then I'd ask, ask myself, I'm like, this is who you want to marry? But no. <laughs> No, Conversations no, separation has happened. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, yeah. So I think it's that voice of, I imagine it to be like, not like a frat star, but to the typical quote unquote D-bag or yeah. the one who's, you know, avoidant or what have you. And they're just like, well, I'm just going to do this. Yeah, it's like they're not going to pay attention no. to you, but the second you go yeah. out of their sight, yeah. they're like angry because yeah. you're How could angry. you? You're not allowed to. And, and ironically, it's like, my dad didn't even say that to me growing up, yeah. so you're for sure not going to be no. the first man to tell me that. Uh-uh. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. insert rebellious yes. teenager, yes. but you're here. Like, right? you're going to tell me what's yes. going to do exactly. the exact opposite. Yeah. And I'm just yeah. going to do it for longer. Yeah. Or if I'm emotionally mature, I'm going to come home and I'm going to be like, okay, what's this all about? Yeah. They're going to have their collapse. Yes. And you don't have to be with them. No, you don't have to be with them. You don't mm-hmm. have to enlist in the dynamic that they are trying to invite you yeah. into. Yeah. No. Boundaries are yes. so... I love... I have a shirt. It was one of my best sellers, setting boundaries like it's my job. It is kind. And I know I'm very well known for my boundaries, yeah. so much so that some people are like, yeah, that's way too confronting for me. And I'm like, well, if you want to play in the deep end, this is the price of admission yeah. because boundaries are crucial and they're kind to yourself. They're not actually for the other person no. at all. It's not about controlling other people. No. It's about saying this is This how works I for me. You. Well, I honor my own word yes. and we do abandon ourselves often, especially women, yeah. right? Why have all these standards unless they're high or rich? Yeah. <laughs> Those are yeah. usually the what? Yep. That just hurt my brain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those are usually the exceptions yeah. that we'll make, right? Yeah. But he can afford me all of these other things, right? When somebody can give us provisions and they can provide for us, yeah. we'll often you know, eh, is that standard so important? Yeah. Do I really need this? Yeah. He's so hot. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's that's another quality of emotionally mature people yeah. is their willingness to compromise. Right? Yes. And so if, if yes. you're feeling if, like there's a one-sided mm-hmm. dynamic happening in your relationship, there's a chance that there's some emotionally imma- emotional immaturity because if you're with an emotional, um, emotionally mature yeah. person... Yeah. There's gonna be compromise. There's gonna be space for your needs. It's mm-hmm. not gonna be like, this is how, this is my way or the highway. Right, There's right. gonna be, they're, they're gonna make space for you and what you wanna do. Yeah. Right? Of like, hey, where do you wanna go for dinner? Like, oh, you wanna go here? That's not my first choice, but you picked last time, so let's yes. go here. Yes. Compromise, there's nine different ways, at least when we look at it um, in DBT, like the interpersonal effectiveness. You d- When you cut the sandwich, yes. you, I get to pick the side that I want, right? Or every other time we take turns picking, or if it's more important to you or it's more of your strength, we'll do it your way. Like basing it off of your strengths in a relationship is such a more mature way of approaching things rather than, well, I want to punish you and you're, you know, I want to make you suffer and I know you don't like this, so you do it. It's like, no, let's just divide everything based on strengths. And then whatever we are not strong at, are we indifferent towards it? Could I handle it without losing right tolerance and respect and then if not let's hire somebody out yeah right exactly like the dishwasher or housekeeping or what have you we're not meant to have one person be at home the entire time and even if we did have the bandwidth that is a recipe for resentment to have one person feel like a maid and one person feel like the breadwinner and then there's no transition or equality when it comes to the validity of the contributions exactly yeah like whenever we go on trips yeah. and even with yeah. you like yeah. you tend to take yeah. care of the logistics yes. and planning yes. and initiating and then I will help with like the smaller details yeah. and like the day to day exactly and having those separate things that you're good at mm-hmm. and celebrated for those things mm-hmm. is it keeps you out of resentment it yes. keeps you out from feeling like it's one sided or unfair yes. yeah so and true. you know the the last not the last yeah. thing, but the thing that I'll, I'll yeah. end with mm-hmm. is that emotionally mature people allow themselves to be influenced by other people. Yes. Like a lot of the women that I work with tend to feel like <laughs> they, I think it's the opposite of what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. They tend to think that their partners have all the answers, that they're being taken care of mm-hmm. by their partners, mm-hmm. that they're smarter, mm-hmm. that they know better, mm-hmm. and that they're, they're learning so much from their partners. Mm-hmm. And 
it, it's a beautiful thing when women start to realize like that they mm-hmm. also have a lot to offer. Correct. It's just typically not the skills. Yeah. That, like some of the softer skills that have been celebrated in our culture. Yes. And so you know I think it's a beautiful thing when when we have partners that allow themselves to be influenced by us. Yeah. Right. Like when I met Lee, his whole house was red, white, and blue. Like cushions, couch, America. Like now there's jewel tones <laughs> yeah. everywhere. Like yeah, you know, and and that's that's him being influenced by me. Yes, right. And it's and not like a peer pressure influence. No. It's I want to hear you out. I want to hear the merit, the importance, the value. Yes. What would it have as a positive contribution if this gets done? Versus yes. I'm only doing this to avoid punishment. Yes, we don't incentivize our partner to do something by telling them. Don't do don't do this or else. Or if We're you don't do that, yeah. No. I had a I had a girlfriend that that was like, this looks like a kindergartner designed this place, and I'm like, that's my husband you're talking about, and that's his taste, okay? And it's evolved over time. Sure, and, it, and it's allowed to be different without yes. being bad. Yes, absolutely. It's not a shaming, punishing thing. Um, it's a celebration of each other, and like that sounds really cool. I'm gonna try that. Mm-hmm. Like weight training, I never yeah. did that before. Like, I yeah. think I went to the gym like a total of three times before that week, <laughs> and now for the most part, I like it. Like I found yeah, parts yes. that I really like about it. And I similar. I love weight training. I've done it for like over a decade, and my <laughs> he's such a hunk. I'm like now having a fantasy <laughs> moment in my head. He's so my partner is so hot. He is so jacked. It's so great. He, we were, we go to the gym often and he would make a suggestion. And of course me being alpha ego, whatever masculine driven, especially when I'm at the gym, it'll be like, he'll make a suggestion. That's of course the right thing and very valid, but stubborn me is like, my gut reaction is always like, don't ever correct me on whatever this is that I might not actually know what I'm doing, but I've been doing it this way for 12 years. So please let me actually know this is the bad thing to do, right? There's like this collapse and it took me a while the receptivity and the ability to accept influence. And I was just not a bitch right away. And oh my God, what a gift. And I was like, huh, thanks for sharing that. That's really all the response I had to do. And I said, you know what, I'll try it. What do I have to lose? Right. And honestly, the question is, what do I have to lose if I'm stubborn is the whole relationship. Right. And not to put it in such drastic black or white terms, but over time, what you do have to lose is this feeling of, if I'm, am I going to lose me or am I going to lose my partner? And those actually don't have to be the only two options instead look at it with what could I gain? What could I gain by trying it the way that he yes. suggested? Wow, my lunges are actually getting to the areas that they weren't getting to before because yeah. of this one small tweak that he saw me, look at how metaphoric this is, he saw me in a different way that I could never see myself because I don't know what I look like. Even in a mirror, it's not the same thing as seeing it in live time and what a gift that correction was or that small tweak was and what did he have to gain from it nothing really except offering it to yeah. me I had everything to gain like how selfless like I just can't speak yeah. highly enough about my partner. he's just the best but it's that's it's like it. such a long tangent but anyway yeah, it's the it's truth exactly. though it's like we, we need to be able to accept influence and ask ourselves not what do I have to lose if I do this it's how could this benefit us and the longevity of our relationship that we're building our life together based on if I include this very helpful sometimes just neutral feedback yeah. from my partner yeah and if you were defensive receiving that, it right. would feel like criticism. Correct. And it would hook you into that yes. kind of cycle of control. Like, Correct. Like, he's trying to control yeah. me. So now we're in parent and child, yeah. and I'm throwing a tantrum, and he's like, mm-hmm. what's going on? Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to help. Yeah. And it, it like, I, I'm just picturing your posture of, like, mm-hmm. open. I'm yeah. going to allow you to show me. Mm-hmm. I'm not experiencing this as criticism. Right. I experience this as love. Yeah. I do tantrum at first, though, often. Yeah. And I'll, I'll like, I will act like, I'm awesome. just like, like, fine. And he's yeah. like, well, whatever. Like, we'll play the little role. Yeah. And I, and I'll go back to him or I'll text him like, you are right. I love you. And yeah. he's like, oh, I'm just trying to help. And I was like, yeah, but I'm not used to that because I'm used to having to do everything on my own, a la being raised by the, the, the this book. Yeah, right? Like, hyper-independent. Yeah. And, uh, and you know this because I say it often. I catch my... I love being right because it makes me feel safe. Yeah. So really, the core need is I love feeling safe. And that reframe helped a lot. Yes. And the fact that I can give him deference and that he cares for me is super hot, super emotionally mature, super stable. He is so even keel, like the pillar, such an example of what it's like to be with somebody who is like, okay, like no trauma, no, he's a gift. It could be a therapist. 
Because he would just sit there and be really open, really good at communication, really see, really see the yeah. person, and just give you some honest yeah. feedback. Gorgeous. Yeah. Yes. And that's the other part, too, for mostly, we have mostly women who listen to this podcast and couples. I think guy, like guys have reached out to us before as well, but if you are one of our female demographic listeners listening to this right now, when you're trying to learn how to accept feedback from your partner, the goal is to not see it as a threat to your independence or your sense of womanhood or femininity, especially if it's built on being more alpha, more independent. It's safe to soften. It has to be with the right person, of course. But these traits that we listed today of what it's like to be with an emotionally mature partner, those are the ones that you want to soften with and practice with. And you may, and I did this too, you may right trait wrong person. You may have done right all the behaviors that lead to a healthy relationship, but with somebody that couldn't sustain it, don't take the lesson from that and go, I'll just never do it again, right? It's like, I liken it to like, we're like shelter dogs, right? No matter how many times we're abandoned, given up, this, that, and dogs don't have a sense of time like humans do. And they remember things, obviously, like if they were ever hurt by a hose or this. Like, yeah. It's not that they have no trauma memory, but that they go in with this willingness of like, maybe this will be the family for me. Oh. Right? And with boundaries, of course. So like, go into it with like a, a, a shelter dog that's been through therapy yeah. that is like, look, I know how to... <laughs> I know how to do this, but let's just see if, yeah. right? You're, you're relearning to trust in the There's beginning. There's discerning. Yes. Not mistrust. Correct. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I love good. that you've had that experience yeah. with, Me with too. your guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's so cute. Like it's a yeah. beautiful masculine holding space yes. so you can soften and yeah. be flow and, yep. and connect to your femininity mm-hmm. and allow yourself to be taken care of and nurtured and seen. Yeah. And I'll get it's texts goodness. of like, did that help you be in your feminine? And I'm just like, <gasps> I love you. <laughs> <laughs> so this is possible for you, listeners. Yes, it yeah. is. Healing from, healing from being a child, an adult child of an emotionally immature parent is not only possible, it's available to you. If you have any questions, please reach out to the podcast, reach out to Sara. Where can people find you if they want to work with you? Yeah, they can go to my website, emotionallyimmaturepartingtherapistcorrective.com. Inc. www.empowertherapyandcoaching.com I'm on Instagram at Mm -hmm. empower.mft Facebook, all the socials at empower.mft Yes, I highly recommend following her page She has some quality gems and if any of you have followed me on my page for a while, you'll know I tried to make the switch last year to be what I like to call and I'm not calling you this, the last word of it anyway, like an inspirational quote bitch it's not for me. I drop I'll gems. I drop gems like I have a store that I sell gems at. Like I'm very good at them, but it's just not my thing on social media and it's absolutely yours. The the structure, the way you word it, whatever. It's it's lovingly confronting as I like to call it. And you read some of those captions and I'm like, "See, that's so concise. I would have written like a five-page blog on it." Like I love I love looking at your work because it does really get to the point in a way that I don't think my brain can. So even mm-hmm. the influence that you provide in my life is very much so appreciated. Well, that's a <laughs> skill of an emotionally mature person. Look at us. It's true. Influence. It's true. Yeah. 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 So thank you, everyone, for listening. I know this is a, a little bit longer than we usually go when Ryan's here, but I kind of like it. <laughs> so I'm keeping it, I and it was a perfect this. amount of time. Uh, and yeah, if you have any questions, reach out, and we will see you next time.